turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and if you would put your finger there, today we're going to talk about the blood of Jesus. Under the Old Testament law, God provided a very vivid illustration of the high cost of sin. And every single Jewish little boy and girl was familiar with this illustration. It was called a blood sacrifice. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of a creature is in, is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18, it says, This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll and all the people, and he said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. It's impossible to remove sin without the shedding of blood to atone for sin. At the beginning of the covenant, everything, did you, I don't know if you got that, they sprinkled everything with blood. The tabernacle was sprinkled with blood. The instruments in the tabernacle were sprinkled with blood. The people were sprinkled with blood. The scrolls. The law was sprinkled with blood. All of it was sprinkled with blood. If we go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, when Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God's command, it tells us that God made a garment of animal skin to cover their nakedness. When we talk about sacrifices and garments of animal skins, we've sterilized it. And we've distanced ourselves from that type of imagery. Oh, okay, it's a sacrifice. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. An animal skin. You realize that because of their sin, because of their nakedness, they were naked and okay with it before. Once sin entered into the world, for them to be covered, an innocent animal had to die. An innocent animal had to give up its life because of them. We've distanced ourselves from that imagery much like we have with the meat that we eat. I remember a number of years ago, Ernie and Rhonda would do 4-H pigs. We went down to the show, and Landon got to see the pig, and he thought that was kind of cool. Well, then after that, there was an event at the church, and Ernie and Rhonda provided sausage. <laughs> and Landon was just a little guy, and he said, you know, it's kind of, he said something to the effect of, it's kind of hard to eat a pig that you know. <laughs> Sausage sandwiches are nice. They're cool until you know the sausage, right? It's like, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I like to see my steak cooked and, you know, some mushrooms there and with a baked potato and steamed broccoli. I don't like to see the reality of what took place 
to get that nice steak on my table. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't want to know the cow's name. I don't want to know his name. I don't want to know how old he is. I don't want him to like... (laughs) Some cows have those big eyes. Look at you. Something about that becomes very real and very personal. It's kind of overwhelming if you see it too much. We have some people here who grew up on a farm or maybe hunters and you're familiar with butchering. Even hunting. Much of what you do is from a distance. If I'd have gone out the first day hunting and shot Bambi, and there again, we don't want to name them, but if I'd have gone out the first day and shot a deer, I don't think I'd have liked it. Even now, I have conversations with the deer. Typically what happens for me is I go out in the woods and sit and freeze and don't see anything for a long time. And then I'm mad. And typically I don't get to see them very much And you know, the deer that I run into, they're really arrogant, prideful deer. I can't tell you how many deer have mooned me. They just turn it around and they just moon me as they take off. That's all that I see of them, usually is the white tail waving, and I thought of it as them mooning me. I thought, well, hey, I'm tired of this. But the last few deer that I've gotten, usually they're from a distance You don't get a chance to watch them. Some of you do. Some of you like to to be in the deer stand three feet away from them and jump down on them and stuff. But a lot of times for me, it's usually at a good distance. It's quickly. It's a shot. And then you kind of turn your head away and you wait a while to go over to them. You don't run over wait away. Because there's stuff that you don't want to see. You don't want to be. And usually I talk to them after I shoot. I'm like, you stupid deer. (sighs) Now i got to get my brother, John, or someone else with me to gut you, because I don't like doing that either. The last deer I shot, I just gave it to my brother. I shot a deer, and I was like, I got you a deer over there, bud. It's yours. Uh, You can have it. Well, are you sure? No, 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 bud. It's all yours. That means you get to gut it. It's funny. We're willing to shoot a deer from a distance, but you don't want to be that close. The reality of it is, is in the Old Testament, every single Jewish boy and girl, realized how powerful, and they had this visual reminder of the cost of sin. Every year, the family would take a one-year-old lamb. I said, don't give me an ugly lamb. Don't give me an angry lamb. Have you ever seen an angry lamb? Don't give me a goat that's butting someone else or bullying. Give me a cute lamb. Because everybody can identify with... Listen, every year they would go to the temple and they'd get that little lamb. And here's what they had to do. They didn't get to shoot him from a distance. Someone had to get close to that lamb. The priest would have a ritually clean knife. Ritually clean. And they would bring it. And someone would have to grab that little lamb by the back of its head, get behind it, and slit its throat. And then you had to stand there and catch the blood as the blood drained out. When you're there, you hear the sounds. You hear all the noises. You don't get to do it from a distance. We're cool with stuff as long as it's from a distance. When we talk about the sacrifice and the cost of sin, we're okay as long as it's sterilized and it's something far from me. It loses its impact 
When you have a little one-year-old lamb right close to you and you see him pull its neck up and you see the blood squirting everywhere, it, it grosses you out and you realize a person's hit with the fact of how horrible sin is. Because to atone for their sin, for them to have peace with God, something that was innocent had to die. Their sin cost someone something who did nothing to them, who harmed them not at all, who was completely separate. It caused that innocent animal to die. And every Jewish boy and every Jewish girl understood that principle. It must have given them chills to see that. As I said, when one must kill an innocent animal because of his sin, it illustrates the awfulness. And God wanted man to understand that when we sinned, it meant death for something or for someone. You see, the shedding of blood was required to atone for sin. But every year they had to come again and do the same. Every year. Back to our text in Hebrews chapter 10. And I want you just to listen. Listen really closely and read along closely with me to this. It says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. You got that? The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Not the reality themselves. For this reason... It can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. He says, it doesn't work. Really, it doesn't work. It can't make perfect those who want to come to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all. They would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible. Verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you do not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, listen to this, by that will, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let's go down to verse 11. Day after day, priests stand and perform their religious duties. Again and again, 
he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Hear that? But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, listen to this, you need to get this in your head and in your heart. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect. Everybody say perfect. Perfect. That means complete, lacking in nothing, whole. Okay? He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You hear that? The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. This is different. This is different than just walking up and seeing them have to be close, have to hold the neck back for the lamb while the priest runs the knife over its neck and the other priest grabs the blood and catches some of it and then goes in and sprinkles it on the altar. Okay? This is different than that. It's different than just watching and feeling guilty and feeling overwhelmed because I realize it's my sin. Why do I have to see this? I realize it's my sin. Oh, the horror of sin. I recognize that. But this is different because, says Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write it on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts. I will remember. What does he say? The previous sacrifice was a reminder of my sin. It just reminded me of how screwed up I am. It reminded me of how sinful I am, of how selfish I am. Their sin and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Let me read that to you just one more time. This is a covenant I will make with them. It's a blood covenant, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Their sin and lawless acts I will remember no more and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. When we sang I got saved, I remember. I remember the night that I came home and I walked up the basement steps at 3 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the morning. Mom greeted me there and I said, Mom, I got saved. I knew something had changed in my heart that day. There was something inside of me. I was not the same. I was not the same person that I was. What happened? The blood of Jesus had been applied to my life. Something changed in our minds. Something changed in my heart. Some of you were good sinners. You were good at it. You could do it and feel no remorse. The only remorse you felt was when you got caught or there was a consequence to it. But sin is pleasurable for a season. That's what the Bible says. The incredible thing, though, is when you become born again, 
God writes his law upon your heart and he writes his law upon your mind and something about you, you're no longer designed for that anymore. That doesn't feel right. It felt really right before. It doesn't feel right now. There's something about it. It doesn't fit who I am. It doesn't belong in my life. There's something different inside of you that changed. And if you live with conviction, if you feel that conviction, that's cool. Because that shows that you're a child of God. No matter how you try to shake it off when you're a child of God, no matter how much you try to excuse it away, it just don't feel right. It's unnatural for you because God has written his law upon your heart. That's his covenant with you. With that, he says that your sin and lawless acts, God remembers no more. He doesn't know what you're talking about. He's chosen in his wisdom and grace to forget, to cast your sins into the sea of God's forgetfulness, never to be remembered against you again. So when you bring up to God some of those ugly things from your past, he cannot find it. He can't see it. It's no longer there because he has washed you and he's cleansed you. Here's the thing. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. There's a lot of people who feel this sense to try to make up to God. I've got to make up to you for all the things that I've done, for all the places where I've fallen short, for all of the things where I'm ashamed of and that have brought reproach upon you. It's not necessary. You can't pay him back. You can't pay him back. It's no longer necessary to keep trying to somehow be good enough or somehow do enough or sacrifice enough or offer back to him enough to make up for your sin. When you do that, you really kind of spit in the face of God's grace and his mercy because he says that my blood and the sacrifice upon Calvary was sufficient for your sins and mine. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, because this has taken place, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Remember the priest, the priest did not enter into the most holy place, but once a year, the average Joe didn't get to go, okay? Unless it was his lucky year. One priest a year went in there. They tied a rope around his ankle. If he was not right before God, he'd be struck dead and they would pull him out with this rope. This was serious. They went in there with fear and trembling. It was not something they took lightly because they recognized this. And he says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, not from bottom to top, from top to bottom. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 
not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Can we talk just for a minute about the blood of Jesus? It was his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Nothing else can cleanse you from sin. Nothing else can atone for sin. The church was purchased. The church of Jesus Christ was purchased with his blood. Redeemed by his blood. Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. You hear that? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Listen, friend. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you. This is what you are. Holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Did you hear that? That one time you were alienated from God. At one time you were an enemy of God in your mind. He's reconciled you through Jesus' death. And in his sight, I want you to hear this. In his sight, when you're presented before God, in his sight, you're without blemish. And you're free. You're free from every single accusation against you. Can I tell you one more thing? It's through his blood that we overcome. Revelations 12, 11 says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. All the blood of Jesus. Can I tell you this? There's some things that people can't ever make up for. Can I tell you, there's people in this room that you got some things that you could never, there's no way you could make it right. You've done some damage. You've hurt some people. You've offended people in a way that there's no way you could ever make it right. 
if you spent your whole life trying to do good deeds and trying to pay back, there's a stain, there's a guilt, there's a shame, there's a reproach that comes from sin. Listen, it always brings death. But Jesus came that you and I might have life. And we might have it more abundantly. His blood is enough to cleanse you from anything to remove all the reproach, all the shame, all the guilt that the enemy would put upon you. And you are totally free. You are totally free from every single accusation. If you've done one thing, if you've allowed the blood of Jesus to be applied to your life, it doesn't matter how much evidence is against you. They could convict you in court. They could put it up on the screen. You are 100% guilty. But when the blood of Jesus has been applied to your life, you're free. You're set free. And the Bible says that he whom the Son sets free is free in peace. Oh, friend. That blood that Jesus shed was enough. It's enough to break any addiction. It's enough to change your mind. It's enough to change your thinking. It's enough to change your heart. It's enough to change your attitude. It's enough to set you free. In fact, his blood is absolutely more than enough, more powerful. It's an abundance that no matter nothing can stand against the blood of Jesus. The old hymn says, it washes white as snow. Though your sins are red as crimson, will be white. And that's what the blood of Jesus does. As we stand here today, there's not one of us. You could have lived your whole life and have a whole list of things that you say, I never did, I never did. Without Jesus Christ, we're lost in our sin. We're trapped. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. I'm so glad that there was a lamb that was slain to take away my guilt, to remove my shame, to remove the reproach from me, to allow me to live a life of peace and joy and freedom in the Holy Ghost. Would you just take a minute and thank the Lord for the blood that he shed for you?